You're listening to Two Guys Talking Wine with Michael Pincus and Andre Prue. Hello, Michael. Andre, it's so good to see you and hear you again. I'm so excited for what we're about to talk about. You know what? Uh, one of my favorite winemakers, uh, and to get him for the Legacy Podcast, uh, I think it's a coup for us. I'll tell you what, since you said it first, if you're listening along and you're not driving right now, make a drinking game out of this podcast. Every time one of us refers to him as favorite winemaker, you take a drink. Yes. If you're driving, you're going to swerve after a few after a few, uh, few drinks. Well, let's get to it. Ladies and gentlemen, Derek Barnett. We are here yeah. with the founding winemaker of uh, Southbrook. One of my favorite winemakers in the province of Ontario. I think he's a lot of people's favorite winemaker. He just blushed when I said that, that which is God, awesome. The man is as yeah. red as his shirt is, or mine maybe. Uh, Derek Barnett. Yes. Derek, welcome to the table. Thank you. Nice to be here. Well, pleasure to have you. We uh, let's start uh, with an easy question. Um, right now we have a 2008 Riesling from uh, your old haunt. Um, Thought maybe you'd like to make a comment on. You should clarify. Old Haunt is Laley, not yes, Laley, not South, but we have mentioned. But we'll get to that. We will get to that. I. It's tasting quite nicely. Maybe, maybe a a little. I hate to say flat because it isn't really flat, but it's uh, it's got nice texture. It's got some. uh, What I what I think is being a uh, a mature riesling uh, on the nose and the palate. Uh, A little bit of that lemony finish. It's still drinking really well. Yeah. Still got some fruit. This is better than some of the oats we tasted on that previous podcast. Oh, we did a podcast with some really old Rieslings. Not really old. I guess they were uh, nine to five, uh, five to nine years old, and some of them yeah. were just horrific. No, this is showing remarkably well. I haven't had one in a while, so I was happy to see it. So, uh, colors a little bit yellowy, but uh, other than that, I like the yellow tasting color. Good. We've got uh, I've got a, a few uh, bottles that will open today with you, um, but uh, let's uh, I guess start at the beginning. Uh, obviously. You have a bit of an accent. Well, we Canadians think you have a bit of an accent. I'm sure you think we have a bit of an accent. <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. Oh, just a little bit. Um, so obviously you're not from, you know... Uh, you're not from around here, yeah. You're not from B.C. You're from somewhere else. So how, how do you come, up, come to Ontario? Let's start. I emigrated in 73 uh, to work at a farm north of the city called Don Head Farms, a large Jersey operation run by Bill Redelmeyer's parents and uncle. Uh, I worked there for, I'm saying, 29 years through the evolving uh, uh, farming operation from milking cows to growing crash crops to uh, turning it all over to a market garden and uh, eventually as... uh, um, Bill decided that a winery would go really well in the old dairy barn. Uh, I worked through there for the first, I guess, nine and a half, ten years. Okay. You got nothing else to say on that? I'm just I'm hanging on every word. Okay. How, how? So you came here to work. I didn't know that you were a dairy farmer to begin with. <laughs> but but how do you make the jump from dairy to wine? Let's 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 go with an easy easy bridge there. Well, you know, at the time in 1991 when. Southbrook Winery began. Um, the story that I remember is that when Bill and, uh, and Ian Hannah uh, got together and, uh, and, and talked about it, uh, pretty small operation. Uh, I think the first year we made two and a half thousand cases, uh, somewhere in that, that sort of uh, vein. And um, none of us uh, 
had any winemaking experience other than Bill with his uh, uh, a little bit of winemaking at home. We used to joke about uh, we had lots of uh, um, uh, wine drinking experience, which which came into play along the way. But uh, um, I just. I guess evolved into making wine. We had a discussion, and I said, "I mean, let's give it a go." And, um, <laughs> that's really where we started. We had lots of help from uh, from folks in the industry here in Ontario, and uh, connections uh, in Europe and uh, and Australia that were certainly a, a big help to me and uh, and starting the, starting up as a winemaker. So, so do you have formal training as a winemaker? Then? No, you no. gotta be did, kidding me. Did a couple of a uh, couple of courses. Uh, at, at Guelph and uh, oh, I thought you were going to say correspondence <laughs> continued my drinking uh, uh, and, and, and sort of uh, learning a lot from, uh, from people in the industry here so yeah so did you always have a love of wine then? Uh, I guess from the mid 70s when I started to drink German Riesling um, that, would, that would begin uh, I remember um, buying 75 and 76 Rieslings and I remember drinking the last one on, uh, um, in, in uh, uh, 2000, or the, the 99 crossover to 2000. Uh, that was the last one. I love old German Riesling, so that's how I started drinking. Um, given the opportunity with uh, working at, at, uh, at Southbrook, I mean, there was uh, a lot of education drinking. I mean, this, I learned a lot through being there. Now, Southbrook never made a Riesling, or they made very few, if memory serves. Um, no, we made Riesling most years, oh, um, if memory serves. <laughs> um, I just don't remember seeing it on the shelves. Well, I remember years. talking to you uh, um, early 2000s, and you just had a, uh, a 1992 Vidal and a 1992 Riesling out of the, uh, the old root cellar. Oh, okay. Uh, and so you remember, I remember you talking about how, because it was 10-year-old Vidal and how yeah. wonderful it tasted. Yeah, the Vidal was excellent. I remember that. The Riesling was good, too. So you did make Riesling there, but I don't remember it being a, a staple for Southbrook. It was mostly a red wine. Well, we made a lot of red wine because we had access, or eventually access, to some great red grapes from Niagara. I mean, we started off um, making a lot of, uh, of, of white wine and some red, and then we evolved with when we was 100% VQA, to uh, buying from D and D Laley, uh, who supplied a lot of uh, a lot of the reds and uh, and Kevin Watson. Okay, so you were you were at Southbrook for nine and a half, ten years in the wine business. Yes, yeah. yes, yeah, in um, the wine business. Yeah. Yes, and then uh, so then moving from that, you uh, in the now again if memory serves, two thousand and two was your last vintage there, or you moved over at that time to Laley. First, first vintage at Lely was 2000, uh, and um, last vintage at Southbrook was 2001. And at, at, at uh, half of it, and then I then I sort of went back for another year to uh, to help the winemaker there then, and then yes, so. And you also won winemaker of the year while at Southbrook. I did, so in 2000. And you had, uh, that's the Ontario Wine Awards, and you had red wine of the year, if I'm not mistaken. I did, with the 98 Cab Merlot. Yeah, which was, you know, I, I guess at, at that time was um, a first outside of a typical wine yes. region. Yes. It wasn't Lake Erie, it wasn't 
Niagara. There was no Prince Edward County at that time. Right. So you were out of the main wine regions of, of Ontario. Yes, right, true. Because Southbrook was located in Richmond in Hill Richmond. at yeah. the time. Yes. Or Maple, depending where you were, what you wanted to say. But yeah. Interesting. So you leave and you go to Laley and you become a, uh, I think, a, a partner there? Is that uh, a business partner? Yes, with yes. the winery. Okay. So this is where I'm, although you won awards with Southbrook at Laley, I'm going to go on a limb here. And this is where I think you really came into your own. Like, I think you became a lot more well known in Niagara versus when you were in Richmond Hill. Would you agree with that statement or no? I- I suppose. Okay. Uh, I, I, I still run into a lot of people from uh, from days at, at Southbrook uh, and have long conversations. Uh, I mean, it wasn't that we were not well known. I think we we came into our own there. I, I know in uh, with ninety seven, ninety eight, and ninety nine vintages, we did very well uh, in, in competitions uh, and got um, some fairly fairly good uh, good awards during that time. Uh, Maybe I spent a little more time when I got to Laley because there was just winemaking there, right? I mean, so a lot more time out front selling wine, out front talking to customers, and that sort of uh, built a, uh, a lasting relationship with a lot of people. Oh, well, it gave me hell on the last one because I was monopolizing the conversation. This time he just... You know, what, I, you know what, I know we've skipped ahead to, to Laley a little bit, but I want to take it back just one one step because you didn't have any formal wine training. This is but, this is a this is like a little bug in his craw or something. No, but I mean but I mean let let's face it. Let's face it. The wines from Laley have a reputation, if you have some in your cellars, of being like if you're convinced that wines in Ontario can't age, I, I would open up any of the bottles of Laley that I have in my collection going back. How come you never just, have? Because I've been there many times you haven't opened a Laley bottle. Because they're in big bottles. At least four or five. Because I bought mine in big bottles. Derek knows that. Everyone knows that. I buy mine in big bottles because it's the only way I can keep the wine in my house. What was the first wine that you made that when you tasted your own own work, you were like, okay, I can do this. This is going to be, this is going to be okay. <laughs> The, the the first wine I mean the first one I remember uh, um, really getting excited with was a um, was a Chardonnay in uh, in '94 and a, and a Cabernet Franc uh, and to this day I can I can still remember punching down Cabernet Franc Ontario Cabernet Franc and uh, the smells and the aromas coming out of there and, and which evolved through into the into the wine just blew me away and I I don't know I. I I, I, through the evolution, I, I must say, um, through the evolution of, of making wine at, at Southbrook, I, I still look back at that and think, wow, you know, uh, how we got here from there uh, um, still, still makes me really happy and, and a little bit uh, excited still to make wine. I, those the '94 vintage was uh, was for me the beginning, uh, I guess, of of, uh, of thinking that I could manage to do this. Um, again, with lots of help. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, uh, so this is why I had to ask the question: Is you're far too humble for your for your own good? Like even now, you look back at '94 and you, and you praise the help that you you had for putting that together, which I think is I think is great. I'm gonna okay. pour another wine here, and. Uh, 
So now we can we can jump ahead again to uh, to Laylee. So you you mentioned the Laylee name as one of the growers that you were buying fruit from before the the winery came to exist. And I'm guessing it's the same Laylee family that that you mm-hmm. partnered with to found the winery. Um, what was it? I guess what was it like moving from Southbrook and um, I guess kind of going off into your own own project. A little, a little scary for me if I if I really want to really put it uh, put it out there. Um, I uh, I was excited, uh, obviously, to to make the move. I was disappointed. Uh, um, part of part of me sort of I left a lot of my life at at Southbrook. Uh, I'm going to say a lot of a lot of the good good fun years that I remember back then. So moving on to something that was. Uh, um, just purely winemaking and 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 uh, uh, lately was um, was I I looked forward to it. It was uh, um, something different. I had a lot of uh, a lot of freedom to uh, uh, to make wine that I that I like to make and like to drink. Not that I didn't at Southbrook. I mean, uh, I did too. With a, a um, but it was just it was an exciting another exciting part of life, I guess. And I think for a lot of people. Um one of the things that Lely well, was known for was making Syrah, which I find interesting because this is something that... Talk about jumping ahead. Like The man never made Syrah until... What was your first vintage of Syrah? Well, I'm about to get to that. You cut me off. I mean, the no, fact no. that you never made, you, you likely never made Syrah at Southbrook. Correct me if I'm wrong. No, you're right. Um, so how did you figure out like what you were drawn to that was outside of what you would have been making at, at Southbrook? So one of the... One of the great things about making wine from from Lely, there was um, uh, sixteen varieties of grapes. Eventually, fifteen, sixteen varieties of grapes on the property, which allowed us to, if I say, play in a nice sense. We had we had lots of small lots. Um, Syrah had been planted uh, on the property, not very much. And then in ninety four, uh, ninety four, two thousand and four, um, we began to source a little bit off off site as well, which. Um, which helped the Laylee um, uh, Syrah brand grow a little bit. But what, what, what drew you to Syrah? Syrah? Yeah. I, well, the first time I tasted Syrah, uh, I just thought it was a from, from a from a warmer part of Niagara was was absolutely beautiful. I mean, just the balance, the the acidity, the fruit—they were exciting. And I, I must admit, I'm. Jumping ahead, exciting because there's another one coming out, and uh, so. But we'll talk. We'll get to that. I, I we'll know, but I mean, we'll but I mean, there. but I know but because of because <coughs> of what we made in you know the 2000 uh, um, through to 2013. I think it, um, it 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 just made in in those warmer parts of uh, grown in those warmer parts of of, of Ontario or Niagara made superb fruit forward nicely balanced crunchy who, crispy who was making that Syrah who made the Syrah that that made you fall in love with Ontario Syrah I gotta be honest I don't remember the first one that I ever had I just I honestly don't and I okay. but I do remember the balance <laughs> and the fruit and um, it was um, it, it, it was one of those varieties that, that sort of I remember being drawn to and I Right, but it's no good. Me, I, I, I can. I'll end up lying, and then you won't like that. I don't remember. <laughs> we're, not no, we're, looking, we're looking for the truth. I just, I, I have to hammer down on, on the, on the, on the Syrah because I'm, I'm starting to come around on. I'm starting to come around on, on, um, 
<laughs> so, you know, we got to pause and, and just describe. So Derek so, just took a, a sniff out of his glass from what Michael just poured us. Give him a little water on that. Cringed his face. No, it wasn't. It wasn't a happy look. And look. then, and then, and then, did a, an extreme close up on the bottle to read what it was in our glass. So, so we, well, we, what we've done because protocol tells you to do it, we had to jump ahead. We have an 08 um, and an 09 Riesling from Laley. Uh, and that's just protocol tells us to try white before red. <laughs> so the 08 aged be- beautifully. The 09 just, I don't know what, any comments on it? It's your own wine, obviously, so you can say whatever you want about it. It was a shockingly bad year for uh, for anybody leaving grapes on the vine. We, we possibly had a little bit of botrytis in it when we, uh, when we harvested. There's a little bit of that, uh, that carrot on, on, the, on the nose and in the palate. Um, it, it, it is uh, certainly mature. I was, I was expecting, I, I think, a little more uh, acidity and a more balance because mm. of the year and because it's mm. a white wine. It, things were breaking down a little bit, I remember, when we, when we picked it. I mean, as opposed to the Chard and the Pinot that were uh, absolutely beautiful in that year, the, the, the vintage was so, so late, um, we were seeing some breakdown. So uh, I'm oh. going to... <laughs> Uh, I'm going to pour something here, which will probably be in the first few years of Laley. This is probably your second vintage there. And you became known at Laley for making uh, Pinot. That would have been one of the calling cards. Chardonnay, Pinot, and then sooner or later, Syrah took also the mantle. Uh, and you didn't make a lot of Pinot at Southbrook, although you did want to make one in 2000 or something. It did not pass VQA, did it not? Uh, was that stinky, barnyardy? Could have been the year, yes. Yeah. Uh, so I think it was 2000. But you didn't make a lot of Pinot at Southbrook. No. no. So you really didn't have much experience with Pinot, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to assume? No, we didn't make a lot of Pinot there. I hadn't, uh, I hadn't had a lot of experience making, uh, making a lot of Pinot, no. But but here we are in 2003, Pinot Canadian Oak, um, which I believe you also started using Canadian Oak at Southbrook. No, you didn't use it. Canadian Oak was uh, first used at Laley. We were the first ones to get wood uh, from the... Um, uh, from the uh, from the guys up in uh, up in Hamilton, um, 01 was the first vintage, and we tried it with um, four different uh, varieties initially: Cab Sauv, Cab Franc, Chardonnay, and Pinot Noir. Um, if I'm Pinot was the toughest uh, to work with um, with Canadian oak. Uh, the wood overpowered the wine quite quite a bit. Especially when it was in, 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 in the initial stages of, of making barrels. Um, need a little more a little more air drying maybe and a little bit more toasting and uh, but the uh, the youthfulness of the oak overpowered the wine a little bit. This has evolved quite nicely. I mean for somebody who likes old Pinot, um, this has that little bit of uh, tea character to it. It's still got some um, some old dusty cherry notes and uh, it's got a little funky character. A little bit of funky to it. Yeah, but it's two thousand and three. Yeah, yeah. So so that's the two thousand three Pinot Noir Canadian Oak, and it's still holding up well. And as you said, this is this is your second or third. So this, this, this was the third vintage uh, of Pinot, yeah. yeah. And by the time you got started making wine at, at Laley, uh, how old were the, the, vin- the vines and the vineyards you were working with? So some of the Chardonnay and Pinot planted late 80s, early, uh, late 70s, early 80s. And um, so we were 
25, 25 years and older uh, wow. for those. And some Cab Franc that was early 80s too. So in the 70s, that would make them some of the oldest in Niagara? Yeah, some of the oldest, but not the oldest. Yeah. No. I think Lenko still has that one, doesn't he? Is that mantle? To uh, the oldest Chardonnay. Is Chardonnay. Yeah. And I don't, I don't, I honestly don't remember. Um, these were close to being some of the oldest in and Pinot, uh, how old were the, were the Pinot vines? Do you they, were, they were planted, um, my recollection was late 70s. Okay. So you must have fallen in love with Pinot as a drinker or as a maker? I love drinking Pinot Noir, but I did fall in love making Pinot from the different blocks. There were four different blocks of Pinot planted. Um, the old block, which was just the Pomard uh, clone, which where this... Uh, a particular uh, Pinot was made from. Then, um, of course, there was a new planting called the Brickyard, uh, all with uh, 667 and 777, if, if I remember rightly. Uh, and then there was a block of, uh, um, of, of six rows of, of uh, what back in the day was, was put in as, as experimental. So, I mean, not, not really experimental, but all of the new clones that were coming. Uh, and there was lots of fun in there, so a, a nice sort of field mix. And um, so we had some really nice small blocks of Pinot Noir that, that, that allowed us to, uh, to keep separate or blend, uh, as the case may be. You know, what I always found interesting from the, the Pinot Noir that I, I tasted at, at Lely is that when you're on the, right down in Niagara-on-the-Lake, the Pinot Noir can get quite dirty. Like it's like it smells like and tastes a little like potting soil. It's got a really strong earthiness. So dirty is not the right. We don't want to talk about wine, but being dirty, but really earthy. And the wines from Lely always seem to lean more towards fruit. What were you working with and doing differently that kept your your Pinot layer and fruity? I think the vineyards were were just spectacular. I mean, looked after by Donna and David, and uh, were. Uh, um, always sort of trying to keep it on the uh, on the low side as, as far as yield was concerned. Um, Pinot Noir we never let hang too long. Um, we like to pick them fresh and not so concerned about high alcohols or uh, I mean completely ripe if we could, obviously uh, to get uh, phenolic ripeness uh, was important. But they tended to be a little more on the lighter style, I think, uh, if we if we uh, really want to tag them with something and. Um, I think that gave us a little more fruit and uh, a brighter acid level, uh, nicely balanced, uh, but always a little more crunchy than others, I think. Crunchy? Crunchy. It's a term that I've used in the last few years, and uh, the fruit is always a little more crunchy. It's fresh, it's acidic, it's, it's more like biting into fresh fruit than, uh, um, than, uh, um, than that more of a uh, cooked jammy style. All right, that's fair enough. Well, I just got something crunchy in my wine, so... Uh, ah, bonus. Yeah, a little, a little, a little bonus, bonus crystal or something. Yeah, a little tartar. That's quite nice. So, All right, so, uh, so stepping ahead, uh, I guess, to another wine that you were known for at Lely. Uh, I'll let you take this, because I can't even... I sure hope it's Cabernet Franc. <laughs> well, Cabernet Franc would have been. I was thinking of the white wine, because it's your, one of your favorites. Okay, I'll give my glass a rinse. So, Derek, let's talk about Chardonnay. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I don't have any to pour. I'm just, oh, I'm just saying. Oh, breaking my heart. <laughs> breaking my heart. I mean, uh, it's interesting that we talked about, about Canadian oak. Um, it's, I, I think the people who are using Canadian oak have got it mated with Chardonnay pretty well in, in the province. Um, what, what led with you to stick with it when you, were, when you were using Canadian oak 
I loved as we we got into the second year of Canadian oak, and we continued to buy new oak. And uh, um, but, but when it got into second year use, and uh, um, it was a little less aggressive, um, I loved the flavors. It was the pineapple and the and the uh, um, uh, almost coconut character that we got from the wood. That spice uh, was was so beautiful. And I think it's still there today. Um, Which I always find very interesting because it's not like we grow pineapples and coconuts in Canada, but suddenly no. that oak is giving us that. That kind of note. So it brings out a little more acidity, and I think that's. Uh, I've always thought that the wines coming out of, of Canadian oak had a little more freshness to them. Side by side tastings, uh, there was a lot more um, softer uh, stone fruit character in the French oak uh, aged ones, and then and then in the Canadian oak, it was uh, a lot more of that that fresh pineapple character, and I think that the oak just drew out a little more of that acidic fruit character because uh, it was the fresh it wasn't canned pineapple it was fresh pineapple um, so I I fell in love with that and I mean I, I remember talking with a with a with a wine writer earlier in its evolution and he just called it pina colada and if you thought about it yeah it was just like drinking a glass of pino colada uh, it was that, that very evident uh, pineapple coconut style and how many different blocks of Chardonnay did you make I can think of three off. Well, it was the old vines and the brickyard, and then we just had a... Uh, uh, every other block was, was put into just our standard um, uh, release of, uh, of Shard. Now, when, when you went to work at, at Laley and when you guys founded Laley, was the intention always to be one of the premium wineries in, in Niagara? Never wanted to to get over ten thousand cases of wine. We always wanted to be that that company that produced small lots of, uh, of premium wines. Um, that was the goal. Uh, so yes. So it was like the Thirteenth Street of Niagara on the Lake type thing. I, if you want to compare, yeah. But I mean, it was it really was all about making small lots of premium. I'm talking early days of Thirteenth Street, like when everything was just you know. Mm -hmm. I, mm -hmm. Derek knows what. Unfortunately, Andre never knew the, the heyday of ah, 13th right, Street right. on 13th Street, where you know they would have a, a, a their open house twice a year, and everybody could come down. And you could taste all their new wines, and you know they'd have you know uh, maybe ten or twelve wines that you could taste, and, and each one of them was, um, and I equate that to going to the Laley open house where you'd have you know six, eight. Mm -hmm. You know, ten wines. You have your curiosity wines. You had all those different wines to taste, and it was you know the the difficulty was how many I'm going to buy, not which one am I going to buy. Right. right. That was always the, the problem. You knew you were going to buy at least one of each because they were all so good. And I'm not blowing smoke up your ass. I have them downstairs, and I can prove it. <laughs> It was a, I mean, come on, it was a premium vineyard uh, and a uh, great, great spot uh, right along the river. And we got incredible ripeness in, uh, in reds. Um, Don had spent uh, many years perfecting Scott Henry and, uh, and, and growing that and, and for, for, uh, for phenolic ripeness. And uh, we were able to produce some, what we thought were pretty stellar, um, small lot uh, blocks of wine. Um. One thing that I, th I think you were also pioneering with, and one thing that I appreciate, I know I alluded to it earlier, was that you put your wines in, in large format, and I think just about everything except your whites 
you could go down to Lely and, and buy in a, in a large format. Why was it important to have big bottles for sale? <laughs> we like the look of them. <laughs> Who doesn't? Uh, um, we only did it in, in premium years. Uh, we had people who uh, asked for for, uh, for magnums to be produced, uh, that wanted to put them in their cellar to, to age, and um, that really was uh, when we started. And I, I think we started in 07 with a few. Uh, we did another bunch in 10 and 12. Um, we got to the point, though, in 12 where we would... It's not an easy sell selling a Magnum, um, and uh, no, I have a hard time believing that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, was, it wasn't, and and uh, so um, in twelve we ended up uh, doing our futures uh, event um, over the months of November, uh, December, and, and early January, and we took orders for Magnums and only made uh, a, a number of Magnums uh, that were ordered, and then we just simply because it became it became uh, more and more difficult to sell them. Maybe, maybe part of that was because we were making 30 wines, uh, skews, and uh, there was so much choice that uh, people tended not to, uh, to buy Magnums as opposed to they wanted to buy more of the single, uh, the, the 750s. So this is a bridge wine before we get to uh, our favorite. Okay. Um, I don't know, Derek can pick it out. This was uh, a wine that you were selling for restaurants only. So it's Cabernet Okay, so and it was uh, the first in ten. It's the first year you actually made it, if I'm not mistaken. Then. Yeah, so it's the 2009 wow. Cabernet holding together really well in a vintage that every winemaker would say was a challenging vintage. Would you, would you agree with that I, statement? I, I would agree with that. I haven't had one of these in a while. I mean, uh, we drank them all uh, at our house. Um, they were really good uh, value wines. And um, I, if I remember it serves, this was 15 bucks a bottle yeah. and uh, 12 and change licensee price. And, you got to uh, be kidding me. This is what it was. They, wanted, they we were trying to, if I remember correctly, we were trying to get into restaurants a little bit more. And... Um, uh, you know, that's the sweet spot. $15 bottle of wine. Well, $15 red like this. Uh... It's an, uh, a, a match with a $15 an oak Chardonnay. So we, uh, it was one of those things that propelled us a little more into the restaurant business. And we all know that wines with a glass are really important uh, to sales and to driving people to the winery to, uh, to buy bottles. And if you came back to buy one of these... Um, you had to ask nicely before because it was never available for sale at the uh, <laughs> at the retail. And uh, if you if you knew who to talk to, you'd be able to squeeze a case or two out. But it was never. I mean, it was, honestly, that was one of the best things about about getting to know you. One of the best things about the industry was you talk about asking nicely. It, it, no one ever really had to twist your arm too hard, including people that I had I had to send to you. But I mean, you always you always made sure that you had. Like you treated every customer like they were the most important customer. I mean, I've never had a ton of money to spend on wine, but you were always very good at setting what I needed aside, even if it took me a few months to get to it. And I'm very grateful for that because now, thankfully, I have a, a few magnums of 2010 and 2012 lately that Michael, I may open for you one day, but I plan on holding on to for for a while. I remember opening an unfiltered for you at some point. So, I mean, you're understating it when you say people had to come and ask ask nicely. You know what a fun business was? Uh, fun of the, one, uh, better make this in real English. Some of the fun parts of, uh, of, of being at Lely was being there on Saturdays and Sundays, uh, meeting 
the people who came in uh, um, to buy wine and uh, and taking them back to taste in the cellar and uh, and have wines that you were almost sold out of or wines that weren't available and and popping the cork on a Saturday morning and um, people in the winery looking at me and shaking their head and going, what's he doing now? And and you'd have, have all weekend to taste it. And uh, that was the fun part or a fun part of uh, of being in the business and getting to know your customer and uh, and getting getting them to come back and visit you again and again and again. And that, and, and it was always uh, an exciting part of, of the business. I love the... the no, I love the, the the talking of wine to, uh, uh, to whether it's licensees or, or, or regular customers. I think it's a great uh, a great fun subject, especially if you're pouring it in someone's glass. All right, it's time to talk about yeah, the real red variety, and okay. I and I have one. So uh, I'm not, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna tell you tell you the vintage. I think you know a great variety, so that's gonna be it. See if we uh. And Andre, we want to kick off the question because this is a great variety that both uh, Andre and I are big fans of. And it's, oh, it's oh my God, it's, it's Gamay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we got to be taking videos of these sometimes. The look on your face right now, Derek. <laughs> so obviously Cabernet Franc is what we're going to be talking about in this. I think became one of your staple grapes, along with the Chardonnay. Oh, you got to be shitting me. This is 2007, and it smells fresh and young. It's got a nice cocoa note to it. It's just got, made infanticide is what I It's think. got black fruit to it. It's still got a bit of raspberry on the nose. There's something savory, like, right in the middle, but it's buried under so much fruit, it's... I mean, it's, it's varietally correct, as the VQA would say. And the tannin is just, it just coats your mouth and the acidity washes it away still. And um, yeah, this is uh, drinking nicely and will continue to drink nicely for a few more years. Oh, so um, fantasy has been committed right here. You know what? I think this is in, in the sweet spot. I like it with the, the fresh fruit. I think a few more years and we'd see the fruit start to dry up a little bit but we are looking at a 10 year old Ontario Cabernet Franc so people yep. who say Ontario wines don't age there are people who say Cabernet Franc doesn't age I, I think they're you know here's where they are totally missing out on you know so Derek what do you say to those people I think it's really hard um, I shall I shall go back to a uh, to a group of people that came to um, to visit I'm going to say back in 2004, 2005 to lately, and this is a group of, uh, uh, of uh, eight people, four couples, and they wanted to start sellers of, uh, of Ontario wines. And uh, I, they came back three or four years in a row, and then we didn't see them for a long, long time. I bumped into them, uh, I think in the last year that we were at the... Um, Lely was, was pouring wine in Toronto with the Ontario Wine Awards, um, uh, tasting what is now called Wine Terrio uh, down at the distillery district. And I asked where they'd been, and uh, they all still lived in the same homes, and they hadn't been anywhere. They had just found that some of the wines that they, they had purchased just didn't last the way that they had hoped and the way that they had, uh, they had been told. Uh, so what, and, I, and I find that disappointing because they stopped buying Ontario wine. They, they bought it to drink on the day or on the weekend, but stopped buying Ontario wine. 
and I, I find it really difficult to, to explain to them. I, you know, you've, you've got to get used to the wine house, the wine maker, uh, and, and I think um, you have to be true to people and tell them, you know, I, I, I think this could last for 10 years, but I think that you should, uh, you should look at it four, five, seven years from now, because if you enjoy it, then uh, at that point in time, I'm not saying you shouldn't, you should drink it all up, but I think you, at that point where you begin to enjoy it, you should drink it. The fun is pulling the bottle like this out, uh, 10 years on, and going, oh my God, I've just drank this too young. Um, there's nothing wrong with that, because you know that you can go back to that house and do it again. We hope, right? I mean, uh, Well, we can't. We can't, <laughs> but, but the house that you like, it's not just about, about Lately, about anybody who you're buying wine from and sticking it away in your cellar. It's it's finding that sweet spot over the years, because the the the, the drive to make consistent wine in Ontario, because uh, that's what the consumer is looking for, vintage over vintage, uh, with a little tweak, and you can talk to them, uh, especially if they're coming to the winery, why there's a bit of a change from vintage to vintage, but. Um, uh, we were always, we thought we were always being pretty fair with people, uh, telling them that wines would age X number of years, and uh, that's how we sold futures, right? I mean, you all remember buying futures. I mean, we tell people they were going to age, you know, so many years, and, and I think we've never let anybody down. This was sold as futures, uh, this wine. This was the first year we did futures in 07, and we told everybody they'd last 10 years. And Turns out you were right. Pretty close. So you, um, uh, again, one of your staple grapes, Cabernet Franc. In fact, you have um, started your own label, mm -hmm. uh, which which I think we should we should get to. I know we don't want to get into tons tons of details, but I mean, we should just sort of mention that your time at Lely came to an end, I guess, two abruptly three years ago. And it was, yeah, it July two thousand and fifteen, almost uh, two years to the day we are here now. And, and, uh, and uh, I guess people would ask, you know, what happened? Because it, it seemed it seemed to be, Lely was open one day, op uh, not open, then it opened again, and then suddenly uh, the reports that, that I have received lately is that there is more uh, knickknacks on the shelf than there is wine, and it's all old wine. Now, I don't want you to talk about what they're doing now, but is there anything that you could tell us about what happened uh, at Lely? Like how it came to an end with you, with your presence there. Dead silence. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the place was for sale, and uh, and I had wanted to uh, to continue on uh, as being winemaker right up, uh, really, until we uh, the day it, or day and so before it closed, and I um, it, it 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 just came to an end and it didn't seem like the right fit for me uh, and to continue on and so that's really the be all and end of it really I, we knew it was coming um, Donna and David were uh, um, getting tired of growing grapes and uh, um, wanted to, uh, to put on the market and, and it happened and, that's, and it sold and uh, you know, people, people, the people who bought it were were to continue on uh, growing grapes and, and making wine in uh, whatever way they wanted to do that. But I didn't feel comfortable in myself continuing on. Okay. Sometimes integrity, integrity comes at a steep price. Sometimes. 
So, so I guess we're moving on to, to your project the next chapter now. And I was going to kind of tie it in with the Cab Franc because uh, your staple grapes again. When probably by the time you left Laley, people would know you for one of uh, I'm going to go four grapes, and it would probably be uh, Syrah, Ding, Cab Franc, Ding, Chardonnay, Ding. Sauvignon Blanc, and then we'd have to add Pinot Noir into that one. Yeah. But the reason I'm I'm not uh, uh, saying anything about Pinot yet because I don't know. But your current project, which is Melville, and maybe you would like to explain where the name comes from before I continue on with this little question, <laughs> well, because a lot of people think it's Melville or Melonville, which you know is SCTV. So, <laughs> and. and uh, and really, people who know Derek would know Melonville because they're of that. Do you never watch SCTV? He's looking at me like, you watched SCTV, did you? I was probably four when <sighs> SCTV went off the air. Man, now you feel old. <laughs> There's this drink called Coca-Cola. Do you remember it? No, okay. So, go ahead. Where does Melville come from? Well, uh, growing up, my uh, my parents bought a plot of land to build a home on. Uh, in '57, uh, we moved in, and uh, my brother, um, well, all of us, I wasn't really included. I was too young, but uh, my brother and uh, and mother and father couldn't decide what to call the house. So my brother decided that it would, if we could work our names into it, that'd be great. And my brother's name is Malcolm, my father's name is Edwin, my mother's name is Lucy, and my name is Derek. So Meldville, the house of, uh, of Malcolm, Edwin, Lucy, and Derek. So I wanted to use that little bit of history uh, on my new, uh, my new venture uh, on the label. And so there's, uh, um, that's where it came from. Okay. So we that's have... incredible. You've told, I've, I've heard you tell that story before. You never got into that detail. Well, you've never recording it now. <laughs> I know, that's <laughs> now awesome. It's for, it's for posterity. <laughs> so looking at the project, what you have now, and we looked at those five great varieties that you were really known for. Uh, Chardonnay, which mm -hmm. just won the best... Uh, Under $20 Chardonnay gold medal at the Ontario Wine Awards. So we, uh, there's that. Well-deserved. Sauvignon Blanc, uh, Cabernet Franc, and you kind of teased us by telling us about a Syrah that may or may not be hitting the world. Mm -hmm. And then I, I haven't <laughs> heard anything about that fifth grade variety that you are well-known for, Pinot Noir. Well, again, tasting yesterday, couldn't decide whether we wanted to release it or, or bottle it before uh, before this harvest or, or wait until the spring. Uh, 2016 was just, a, as we all know, beautifully uh, hot, warm vintage with uh, uh, drought conditions and wines are really tasting forward, fruit forward, not a lot of tannin. And uh, the Pinot that's in the barrel right now is, uh, is exciting and... Um, uh, yes, there's a Pinot in the works um, from 2016 vintage. Um, Syrah also in the works. Very small production Syrah, two barrels, um, and uh, so 48 cases maybe uh, of Syrah to come from the 16 vintage. Small barrels. Small barrels. <laughs> you know, 225. Okay, regular size. So the. Um, so when you when you left Laley, was 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 it always the idea to go immediately into doing your own label? Did you like go, all right, I'm out of here, and now I want to start a label, or was it months in the working where you're thinking I have, I, I want to get back into winemaking? I don't I can't sit here in the garden. 
<laughs> two months two months after, no less than that. I, I did uh, talk to somebody uh, a week or so after, and, and I'd already decided after a week that I had I couldn't sit on the couch and uh, and garden the rest of my life. So. Uh, um, uh, yeah, it didn't take very long. We, the name, actually, we had come up with uh, using my parents' home or our family home uh, on a trip back from Myrtle Beach uh, in 2012. Uh, we had, my wife and I, long discussions about having a virtual winery at some point, and uh, um, that was uh, really... So we, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't something we had to sit around and hash out for the longest time, um, and it didn't take long. I was uh, way too young to, uh, to retire. I love this business so much, uh, both making wine and selling it. Uh, I take, it's. Uh, I hate to tell people, uh, you know, but it, it's just something that it, it's. It's a huge hobby for me. Uh, <laughs> but it, it really isn't a hobby, as we all know. But it, it's just I can't see myself doing anything else, and uh, which is why I wanted to get back into it fairly quickly because uh, I thought if it was a year, year goes by, so we're now. You know, 15 months, uh, and then we decided to do it. Then we're two and a half, three years to release wines, and um, well, we'll, yeah. well, we'll come back to, to Melville. But you've mentioned Derek being known for Pinot Noir, but I think we have to mention that you're also a winemaker at Carlo Estates in Prince Edward County, and I mean, it must be, it must be a challenge as a winemaker to go from one of the warmest places in Niagara to the county. And start working with the fruit there. It was a big learning curve. I mean, I, um, there's no denying that. Um, but I, I, I've always liked that fresher style, even in Ontario, uh, in Niagara, of of, of wines. I like, I said that earlier, that crunchy, uh, that crunchy fruit character, that that freshness. And so the county fruit that we're uh, we're growing and. Uh, and producing wine from it has true varietal correctness and uh, which which I like about Pinot and Chard and uh, um, and if we get into uh, other other varieties like Marquette that they're growing at, at, at Carlo and Frontenac Gris and Frontenac Blanc they they are just beautiful expressions of the of the grape so um, I, I it's exciting to make wine up there also but different as you say what do you think was is the biggest challenge making the step from from one place to the other b- besides burying and unburying vines in the spring um, I think balance is 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 you know in good years like last year it was uh, it was much like it was here I, um, fruit was ripe and and balance is is uh, it's there. There's not a lot of tweaking to be done. It's the poor years, not poor years, but the the less the less warm years and the wetter years where uh, I think will will prove um, to be a little more of a challenge for me. And uh, um, in those years where fruit is coming in at really low bricks and high acids, and uh, but I haven't experienced that yet. So maybe they come. So I guess jumping back to Meldville, then last year was the release of your first handful of wines, Michael. Listed off. I think you had a Cabernet Franc, uh, Sauvignon Blanc, and Chardonnay. Yeah. Now, I was really fortunate to be able to taste your Chardonnay almost a year after you'd released them. And I remember when I tasted them in the first place, your Chardonnay was very good. It was very textbook. It was very t- very typical. And if I look back at my score, I'm sure I had very nice things to say about it. But one year later, I tasted it at uh, Archive 
in Toronto, I have to give them a shout out because if you're listening to this podcast, they may have a few bottles left and it is the most affordable bottle on the buy the bottle menu. And when I tasted that wine, it had transformed into this unbelievably complex, rich, funky, like gorgeous Ontario Chardonnay. Were you are you able to plan for what you're going to see the wine is going to taste like after you've put it in the bottle, or are you just tasting it as it is? Did you? I know I'm asking this in a complicated way, but did you know the wine was going to evolve that way over the course of of a year? Well, if if I say when you tasted it, I think we bottled it about four days before when you first tasted it. Okay. Um, I was excited to get. Uh, both you and Michael to look at the label, see the bottles and, and, and taste them and um, uh, before bottling it had a lot more texture, it had uh, um, a lot more of the floral aromatic to it um, and I drinking it soon after I didn't think it would show um, a lot of bottle shock and I don't think it did but what no. happens what happens over those uh, those those 12 months is that it has evolved with, uh, with the texture and I think the texture was the most uh, significant change in the wine, and and I think that you know just over the years of making Chardonnay um, at uh, at Southbrook and at, and at Lely, we've always been able to to pull the texture out of the wine. Uh, it gives you that richness without getting alcoholic, without being sweet. Uh, and I think that yeah, I w- I was expecting it to evolve in the same manner that others had done. That's interesting. Oh, is it my turn? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Uh, Oh, I know. So we've gone through your past. We've gone to the present. And now we got to look, I guess, towards the future. What What does the future hold for Derek Barnett? What does the future hold for Melville? And what does the future hold for, as in your eyes, what do you see Ontario's winemaking future being? Well, in that order, um, I see Melville evolving to about 2,000 cases of wine a year. Um, I, who knows for how long, I'd like to continue on for as long as I'm able. My health allows me to do that. I mean, I have no thought of, of, of just doing this for a, a couple of years and, and chucking it in. That's not the game plan at all so um but i and i you know five great five wines coming up this year and and maybe six because there's going to be a uh, um a uh, couple of barrels of chardonnay from 15 that have uh, been sitting on lease since uh, since november of uh, 2015 that uh, will be released um just under the barrel select label um so they'll be coming so there'll be a couple of uh, chardonnays and I have some Canadian oak barrels that will from the sixteen vintage that will be there. So that's, so that's seven now. So that's seven now. So, but oh, small lots. Okay. Are we but, getting to forty? No, 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 no. I'm done. I'm done. I think. <laughs> uh, um, but it will. It, so I, I see that evolving. But not those are in small lots. I mean, again, two barrels of Chardonnay, two barrels of, uh, of Syrah, um, and so they won't. Uh, it won't extend itself any more than that. I, as far as the Ontario industry goes. Um, I mean, I love the way it's growing, and I love to see the the sparkling wine end of it growing rapidly. Uh, I think it's a great uh, a great skew for us to be uh, promoting here. Um, I think there's a lot of uh, a lot of people that will be drinking Ontario sparkling wines 
uh, in the future. I, I think we make some fantastic wines. I, 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 I wish. Never made one myself. I love, know that's love the thing I'm, I'm it giggling right. about. It's uh, just like okay, we've got we've got Cabernet Franc aged ten years. We've got Riesling aged eight years. We've got Pinot Noir with you know death knell at like fifteen years. But you know what? Let's talk about the sparkling wine that you've never you know, made. It's something. It's something that. Well, you asked me about the industry. I think that I, I think it's obvious that our Cabernet Francs and, and Pinot Noirs and Chardonnays are growing. We we uh, we see that. Uh, um, uh, the grapes that I think proved to be uh, uh, across the board in, in, in Ontario growing well. Um, there are other spots that can grow Syrah. There are other spots that can grow sort of Sauvignon Blanc. Um, but they're not going to be something that we will um, expand again, I'm pretty sure, uh, after the, the, the few years that we've had. I, I see the quality of wine produced here I, I think that we make more and more inroads to the international market they will they will sit up and notice what we do I, I, I think we're just um, at the beginning of, of, of leaps and bounds uh, in the wine world uh, that's what I think but I think I, I mean I, I wish we would focus I mean here's a guy that used to make wine from X number of 16, 15 varieties of grapes and 40 skews. Uh, and I said to myself, I'm only going to make three. And now, I'm at, you know, as you say, I'm at seven skews. But uh, there are great varieties that do well here. And I, and I think focusing uh, uh, on those four great varieties that grow well here, we'll have to include Riesling in that. Uh, so what are the, what are your four? What are your core four that you see? Because there, there's five that I had mentioned. That you well, the core, the core ones, Cab Franc. Um, Chardonnay mm -hmm. and uh, Pinot Noir and Riesling. I think that they're the core grape varieties that, that we should focus. Uh, and you've chosen not to use Riesling anymore. Well, I, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not slamming that. You've got enough. You've got seven. But I mean, <laughs> and you're and you've added two other ones completely that you, that either you you don't see as a huge future in Ontario, or you see as a future for you for you. So Sauvignon, but Sauvignon Blanc uh, grown. Uh, down by the uh, the lakeshore. I mean, I, I, the fruit comes from legends and uh, from the Lezak farms. And fruit that, from that property used to go to Laley uh, since 2004. It was uh, was one of the few things that we bought every year to blend in with the Laley fruit. And uh, it's a, it's a beautiful spot, great maturity, not big alcohol, never gets high sugars, uh, and it is always super. Um, Typical of Sauvignon Blanc, so I mean, I, it was a, it was a no-brainer for me to, if you can buy it from that selected spot. So I mean, I, yeah, it's never going to be grown in cooler places and where winter's harsh or more harsh. Um, so uh, for now, uh, yeah, that's that's one of those things that I think just wherever it comes from. But I, you know, focusing on those those other four varieties, yes, and people are going to say that we can grow this, we can grow that. Yeah, we can grow Cabernet Sauvignon every year. Can we get the maturity we do in seven and ten and twelve and and, and sixteen every year? No, because they're not all going to be hot, dry, long summers to ripen Cabernet Franc um, every year to that to that point that you uh, you we 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 make those those stellar years. Um, that's why at Lely we only made them in realistically is small batch Cabernet Sauvignon in certain varieties for certain years and I because I other years it was meant to be blended 
Uh, How long until we see a Meldville sparkling wine? Nope. <laughs> well, isn't that a heartbreaker? <laughs> no. Well, I guess that, uh, that that wraps it up. Unless Andre, you got any more questions? For Listen, here? I'm sure we could spend another hour going on and on, but I really appreciate you sitting down and tasting through your your resume here. I appreciate the time. No, oh, thanks for inviting me. It's been good. Andre, uh, I really enjoyed having Derek on the podcast. Uh, he's a wealth of knowledge, uh, and he is always forward thinking. 100% forward thinking and uh, generous with his time and that knowledge. And I- I'm so thrilled that Meldville is up and running. Um, I will be tasting through several of his new releases later on in the summer. But just a reminder that if you want to check out his own stuff, you can go to Legends in Niagara. And yep. he's doing some very fine work in uh, Prince Edward County at Carlo. And I believe the yes, the best is yet to come with uh, one of the masters of Pinot working with County Fruit. Yeah, I do believe so. And you know what? Uh, um, I, I hate to admit this, but I really am looking forward to his second edition Chardonnay. As we know, his first edition won at the um, Ontario Wine Awards. So second edition has got a lot to live up to, but he knows how to make Chardonnay, that's for sure. Well, this is on the record now. Anyways, I'm Andre Pru from underwinereview.ca. I'm Michael Pincus from MichaelPincusWineReview.com. You could subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, leave us a review, uh, tell us what you think. We'd love to hear from you. And remember, always tell Andre to put his pants back on. Good night. <sighs> Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to Two Guys Talking Wine on iTunes. <laughs>